0: So, can you believe that we are coming near the end of our quarter long series on the life and the faith of Abraham? This is week 10, and next Sunday we will conclude this series on Abraham's life, which has taken essentially the entire first quarter of 2023. If you want to read ahead, next week we're going to be in chapter number 25 where we're going to see the end of Abraham's life. In fact, we're going to join, next week we're going to join Isaac and Ishmael as they will carry the body of their father Abraham to the cave of Machpelah where they will bury him with his beloved Sarah. And uh, he will be buried there. We're going we're gonna to see Abraham come to the end of his life. And we're going to think about the legacy of faith that he left. And really, we're going to think about our own legacy. Because the fact is, all of us are going to die one day, right? One day, our own sons or daughters or someone is going to carry us to a grave. Probably not a cave, but to a grave somewhere. And we're going to be buried. And we need to be mindful of the life we're living now will create the legacy that we will leave When we go. So we'll see that next week as Abraham passes from this life and off the pages of Scripture. Today, though, we are in chapter number 24, and Abraham is not dead yet. If you're glad he's not dead, say amen. We got one more week with the living um, Abraham in chapter number 24. The fact is, though, even though he's not dead, in chapter 24, Abraham has a relatively few years left on this earth. Uh, in fact, if you'll look at chapter 24 in verse 1, the verse says, and Abraham was old and well stricken in age. You might put in the margin of your Bible, he was 140 years old, which is really old for us, but we, we know that back closer to the days of the flood, people lived longer then than we live now. Abraham will live 175 years total at the beginning of chapter 24, he's 140, so he has 35 um, years of life left. Relatively few in such a long life. And in this season, when he's nearing the end of his life, Abraham begins to feel some sense of urgency that he needs to help move along the plan of God that he's been walking in for all of these years. You know, All of us, as we get a little older, we begin to feel that sense of urgency, don't we? If you're at least my age, around 35, then you know, I'm kidding, I'm way older than 35, but you reach a place in life where you begin to realize, I'm in that middle part of life or beyond, where here's the fact, I have lived more days in my past than I have to live in my future. And when you begin to reach that age where you're sort of topping that hill and, and headed on the, I don't mean to say I'm morbid, but like on the downside, you know, that older season of life, um, you begin to realize there's a lot of things I need to do. I'm not going to live forever and I need to live with a sense of urgency. And typically for all of us, what happens is we begin to rightly think about our family, our, you know, our kids and our grandkids, and we want to impact them and, and influence them. We want to set our kids on the right path and our grandchildren so that they're walking with and loving and serving Jesus. We want to see them living with God's best and living in blessing because they're walking with him. And we want to we have an influence in that. We want to model that for them and teach that to them. Well, Abraham felt the same kind of urgency, In chapter 24, here's Abraham's situation. He's 140 years old. His son Isaac is 40 years old. And Isaac is still unmarried. And so Abraham, understanding what God has promised and how all of that will will flow through Isaac's life, he recognizes that he needs to help find a bride for his son Isaac. His wife Sarah has already died and so it falls to him now to arrange a marriage for Isaac. And so he's feeling the pressure that he needs to to, to help this plan of God along a bit. However, I'm convinced that Abraham had learned a really important lesson a few years earlier when he and Sarah tried to help God's plan along. Do you remember that? In a very fleshly way, with no faith at all, and he married Hagar. You remember that story? And so I'm convinced that, that Abraham was like, I don't want to make a mistake like that again. I want to help God's plan along, but I don't want to get out of alignment with God's will. And so, the lesson that Abraham learned, and it's a lesson that all of us need to learn, and I hope you'll write it down, is this that we should always press forward when we're living out God's call, trying to serve the Lord, trying to carry out what God wants us to do. We should always press forward in faith. That when we press forward, we don't go off away from God's word, away from God's will, but we walk forward. In faith, 2 Corinthians tells us this in chapter 5 and verse 7 when it says, For we walk by faith and not by sight. So how do I do that? How do I live out the life God wants me to live? How do I press forward in the plans that he has for me and yet do that by faith and not make a fleshly or a faithless mistake? Well, it's a really good question and we're going to answer it today from the text In Genesis chapter number 24. Let me set the scene for you just before we read from this chapter. As I've just mentioned, Isaac is 40 years old and he must find a wife. He needs a wife in order for God's plan to be fulfilled. And so Abraham sends in this chapter his servant Eliezer on a mission to find a bride for his son Isaac. He commands him to not choose a bride from among the Canaanites, but rather to go back to Abraham's family in his hometown in Mesopotamia or the Chaldees. And so Eleazar travels 700 miles. It would have been a week's long journey on the camels. He's traveling there to find a bride Isaac. When he gets there, he meets Rebekah. Now I want you to look at chapter 24 and verse number 24 and listen to who Rebekah is. Verse 24 says, and she said unto him, I am the daughter of Bethuel or Bethuel, the son of Milcah, which she bore unto Nahor. Now if you remember all the way back to week one of this, this study, fully 10 weeks ago, at the very end of chapter number 11 of Genesis, we met Abraham's family. We met his father and we met his brothers. And if you remember that, you will remember that one of Abraham's brothers was named Nahor. So Rebekah, we learn in chapter 24, is the grandson of Abraham's brother, Nahor. That means that Rebekah is the great niece of Abraham. That would make her the second cousin of Isaac. And so Isaac is going to marry his second cousin, granddaughter of Nahor. He's going to marry, by the time we get to the end of this chapter, he's going to marry Rebekah. Now, immediately upon learning who she is and upon meeting her family, Eliezer begins to tell Rebecca and her family all about Abraham. But I have to tell you, I'm really convinced that Rebecca would have already known about Abraham. I, I think she would have known of him as Uncle Abram. Because when he left the family, he was known by the name Abram. And, and can't you imagine... That there must have been many times, like on holidays and family meals, where they would be sitting around and her grandfather, Nahor, would say, You know, I wonder what ever happened to Abram and Sarai. Remember when they left here all those years ago, following God? I wonder what really happened to them. Well, all doubt was removed. When Eliezer shows up with a caravan of camels sporting gold and silver and bracelets and bangles and all of this wealth that he came to display, they figured out immediately that Abraham had made it in the land of Canaan. They knew that he had been successful there and now Eliezer, his servant, has come to find a bride for his son Isaac. And Rebekah is going to be That one. Now, I have to tell you, it really is, and as you read it, you'll find it's a beautiful love story. It truly is a beautiful love story. Uh, The chapter takes 67 verses to tell the love story. So, would you be okay if I read 67 verses of Scripture? And some of you are just like, whoa, that's a lot. Well, I'm not going to read it all. I hope you will. I hope you'll read all of it this afternoon. We're just going to skip through and hit the highlights, okay? So you follow along. I want to read it to you beginning in chapter 24 and verse number one. So the Bible says, And Abraham was old and well stricken in age. And the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said unto, Eli- said unto his eldest servant, we know his name is Eliezer, Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house, the one that ruled over all that he had, put, I pray thee, your hand under my thigh, and I will make you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth. Now, let me stop right there and just explain to you what's going on. When he says, put your hand under my thigh, it is simply an ancient way of confirming an oath. Um, It's unusual. It's odd to us, of course, but it would be exactly the same thing as if I said, shake on it, I want you to keep your promise. You shake on it and we would shake hands and that would be the way that we would confirm that oath. Or maybe the kids would go, pinky promise? I guess they still do that maybe. Do you pinky promise that you're going to do that? It's simply a way of Abraham saying, I want you to do, Eliezer, what I'm asking you to do. And what was it that he was asking him to do? Verse number three, you shall not take a wife for my son from among the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. But you shall go unto my country, to my family, and there from them take a wife for my son Isaac. Skip to verse 10, please. And so the servant Eliezer took 10 camels of the camels of his master, and he departed. For all the goods of his master were in his hand, and he arose and he went to Mesopotamia, unto the city of Nahor, again, 700 miles from the south of Canaan, where he came from, and he made the camels to kneel down outside of the city by a well of water at the time of the evening, even the time when the women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, I pray Send me good speed. Send me grace this day. And show kindness unto my master Abraham. Behold, I stand here by the well of water. And the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let it come to pass that the woman to whom I shall say, Let down your pitcher, I pray you, and give me a drink. Let that woman who is your choice, let her say, You drink, and I will give your camels water also. Let her be the one that you have appointed for thy servant Isaac. Do you see what he just did? It's, it's rather like Gideon putting out a fleece where he says, Lord, I'm going to ask for some water. And the one that you want me to, to pick for Isaac's bride, just let her offer to water my camels as well. And when that happens, I'll know that she's the one. So, so that's his prayer. Verse number 15, and it came to pass, before he had finished speaking, that behold, Rebekah came out, uh, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother. She came with her pitcher, her water pitcher, upon her shoulder. Skip over to verse 34. And he said, I am Abraham's servant. Now he's sitting in the home of of Rebekah with her brother and her father. I am Abraham's servant, and the Lord has blessed my master greatly. He has become great, and he has given him flocks and herds, and silver and gold, and men servants and maid servants, and camels and donkeys. He's very wealthy. And Sarah, my master's wife, she bare a son to my master when he was old, and unto him, Has my master given everything that he has? My master Abraham is wealthy and his son Isaac is going to receive all of the wealth in the inheritance. Now, by the way, interesting point here. Hang with me for one second. Next week, we're going to learn that after Sarah died, Abraham married again. He married a woman by the name of Keturah. And he and Keturah had six sons together. So would you agree with me? When God allowed Abraham to start having babies, he really allowed him to start making babies, right? He had six more sons. So between those six sons, plus Isaac, plus Ishmael, he had, when he died, eight sons. And yet what the servant uh, Eliezer is saying is, of all of his eight sons, none of them are getting the inheritance. They all get a little gift, but Isaac is getting all of the wealth of Abraham. That's the point he's making Abraham is wealthy. All of that wealth is going to Isaac. Verse 37. And my master made me swear, saying, you shall not choose a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell. But you shall go unto my father's house and to my kindred, and there you shall take a wife for my son. Skip to verse 58, please. Verse 58. And they called Rebekah. And they said unto her, Will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. Verse 61 And Rebekah arose and her damsels, and they rode upon the camels, and they followed this man, Eliezer. And the servant took Rebekah and went his way. And Isaac came from the way of the well of Lahai Roy, for he dwelt in the south country. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field in the evening. And he lifted up his eyes, and he saw, and behold, the camels were coming back. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes. And when she saw Isaac, she lighted down, or jumped down, off of the camel. For she had said to the servant, What is this man, who is this man that is walking in the field to meet us? And Eliezer had said, That is my master, that's Isaac. Therefore she took a veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all things that he had done. And Isaac brought her into his mother, Sarah's tent, and took Rebecca, and she became his wife, and he loved her, and Isaac was comforted after the death of his mother. It really is a beautiful story, isn't it? But I don't want to focus today on the love story. Again, I hope you'll go read it and understand it this afternoon, but I don't want to think so much about the love story between Isaac and Rebecca, as much as I want you to see the faith of Abraham and others in this passage. And it's going to help us to know how it is that we press forward in faith. Okay, So several things, real quickly, we're going to press through them. I want you to write this first one down. It is that we see Abraham's faith in this passage, and it is faith that makes a plan. Jot that down some more in your notes. Faith makes a plan. plan. That is to say that as we seek to live out God's will in our lives and do what God wants us to do, we know that God has a part to play. God does his work, but we also recognize we have a part to play. We have something to do in God's plan, and we need to make a plan to carry out that work. I'm going to show my age here a little bit, but a a lot of you in the room are old enough to remember this as well. I can remember television shows from the 1980s. I know if you're you're a teenager, you're like, the 80s, they had TV back then? They really did. But can some of you my age or about my age or older, do you remember a television show in the 80s called The A-Team? Do you remember The A-Team? Raise your hand if you do. Y'all remember the ATM? It had Mr. T in it with all the gold chains. It was this group of military guys that would go on these expeditions. Well, do you remember the classic line that most of those episodes ended with when the leader of those guys would say, I love it when a plan comes together. I believe Abraham could have sat back in chapter 24 and gone, I love it when a plan comes together. Because in chapter 24 and verse number 3, he makes a plan. Isaac needs a bride. He's got to get married. Eliezer, I want you to go find a bride. And in chapter 24, verse number 67, the Bible says that Rebekah became his bride. The plan came together. But I want you to see the importance of Abraham making a plan. Here's something we need to acknowledge. You and I, when we read this account of all the things happening in Abraham's life and Isaac's life and beyond, we have a very comfortable position here in 2023. We get to look backwards with the full narrative of biblical history. We see all of God's plan playing out perfectly just as God desired. Abraham didn't have that. Abraham was living right in the unfolding Of it. So in chapter 12, God made a promise to Abraham that you were gonna have a son. 30 or 35 years later, chapter 21, that son Isaac is born. He's standing in chapter 24 right there in the middle of God's plan. He can look back and say, God promised a son, I have a son, praise the Lord. But he hasn't seen the future unfold yet. All of God's plan has not yet unfolded. And when he looks forward, It's all dark. It's all unknown. He doesn't know how it's going to all unfold. And in fact, the son that God has given him, upon whom all of those promises rest, that son is now 40 years old, as I mentioned, and he's not even married yet. And so Abraham is having to live by faith. God, I know you've done part of it, but I've got all of these things yet that haven't come to pass. I don't know how they're going to happen, but God, I've got to trust you And walk with you by faith. And so he trusts God and yet he makes a plan to move along God's work. And by the way, the Bible tells us in chapter 25 that God's plans do unfold exactly as he desired. Let me take you to chapter 25. Look at verse number 20 with me. Chapter 25 verse 20 says that Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebecca, we know that already. But did you know that Rebecca, who, by the way, has to have a son in order for God's plan to be carried out? It's not just enough for there to be Isaac and Rebecca. They've now got to have a baby boy. Did you know that when they married at 40, 20 years pass before their children are born? I mean, you would have thought if God's working out his plan, it would have been like, you know they're going to have a baby right away. But a year passes, there's no baby. Five years pass, there's no baby. Ten years pass, there's no baby. Can you believe it? She, Rebecca, is barren just like her mother-in-law, Sarah, was barren. Verse number 21 tells us that Isaac prays for her and she does conceive, but those boys are not born until verse 26 and Isaac is 60 years old when they're born. Now, she gives birth to twins. Those twins are Jacob and Esau. And if you know how this all unfolds, you know that from Abraham through Isaac, now to Jacob, God's plan is going to begin to open up and unfold. Jacob's name is going to be changed to Israel. If you wonder where did Israel ever come from, turn quickly. We're not going to say anything about it. I just want to let you mark it. In your Bible, go to chapter 32, just very quickly. Look at chapter 32 and verse number 28. Here's where Jacob's name is changed to Israel. And God said, Your name shall no more be called Jacob, but Israel. Just make a a note in the margin of your Bible. So, Abraham has a son, Isaac. Isaac is 40 years old. He finally gets married. Now there's no baby for Isaac and Rebekah until God intervenes when he's 60 and she gives birth to Jacob and Esau. Jacob's name is then changed to Israel. And Jacob will have 12 sons. And those 12 sons will become the fathers of the 12 clans or the 12 tribes, the nation of Israel. And one of those sons will be named Judah and through the tribe of Judah will come Jesus, the Savior. So we have the perspective to look back and say, yes, God did it all. But Abraham is standing here with a 40-year-old boy not married. And he doesn't see the bride. He doesn't see the son. He doesn't see the 12 sons. He doesn't see the whole thing playing out. So he's having to walk by faith. But as he's pressing forward in this faith, he is, he is making a plan based on what he knows that God has said. Let me help you with this. When you are going to press forward in faith, when you're in a situation in your life where, yes, God has been good, but you don't really know what the future holds and you're not sure which next step to take, be careful that you don't make a forward-looking plan that does not align with what God has revealed to be true. The plans for the future that you make, even though you may not know the future, The plans for the future that you make need to be made based on what God has already revealed to you as true in his word. The the proverb writer tells us about this in Proverbs 3 and verses 5 and 6. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Don't, Don't lean on the way that you think or what your flesh thinks. In all of your ways or all along the way of your life, acknowledge him what is true of him, what he has revealed to you. Acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. See, the whole point of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is this. You're going to walk some paths that you don't know what's down the path. You're going to have to make a plan, and you don't know all the answers to help formulate your plan. But what you do know is what is true of God, what is true in his word, and what he has directed you. And you plan based on what you know, and Proverbs says, if you will plan based on what you know to be true, God will illuminate the path as you walk down it. He will direct your paths. And so when you need to make a plan, make a plan that is in alignment with God's word. Well, for Abraham, that meant Isaac needed a wife. He knew that. But he lives in Canaan. And he knows that the women of Canaan would be terrible wives for his son. They, would, they were pagans idol worshipers, they would never help carry out the plan of God. So he can't get a bride from them. He needs a bride from his family where he has influence and where where Rebecca will come alongside Isaac in in this plan of God. And so he has to make a plan that he will somehow reach a wife, a woman, find a wife among his people who are 700 miles away. Now, what could he have done? What what could Abraham have done? I've got my son. He's 40 years old. He's got to have a wife. All the women around here, they're not going to work. Which, by the way, different message, but there's a right place to look for a wife and a wrong place to look for a wife. Amen? I'll preach that one of these days. (laughs) He says, all these women around here aren't going to work. I need a a woman to marry my son from the Ur of the Chaldees, 700 miles away, weeks-long journey by camel. So he could have just prayed. He could have said, oh, Lord, you know these women around here are never going to work. We need a woman from my family. Lord, would you let one of those women get lost and wander 700 miles and cross in front of my tent, and I'll know she's the one. I mean, there's nothing wrong with praying. But he said, look, God's at work, but i got a part to play in this. I need to make a plan. So we made a plan, Eliezer, get on your camels. I want you to go and find a bride there. Let me help you apply this. What do you do if, let, let's say, you, you're out of work, and you know you need to work. The Bible says if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. And so you, knew, you know you need, a, you need a job, and you know God's put, put sweat in the man for a reason, and, and, and we ought to be working to earn, earn our, our bread. And so you say, well, God's promised to provide me with work and a job. God will take care of me. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to pray that God will give me a job. And then I'm going to sit and watch A-team reruns on Netflix until the plan comes together. God's going to send me a job to my front door. Is that what you should do? Or do you have a part to play? Y'all tracking with me? So maybe you should say, God, I want you to provide me a job as I send out resumes, as I go knock on doors and fill out applications, as I do my part, I'm going to trust you to do your part. Make sense? How about this? You say, you know, I want to live with generosity. I want to be a good steward. I'm, I'm not currently investing in God's kingdom. Every dime that I receive, I spend on me. And I'm not giving anything to God's work. I know I need to, but I can't afford it. If, if, if I give, I won't have enough. So what are you to do? Oh God, give me more. If you'll let me win the lottery, I'll give. So you wait for a windfall and then you say, when God gives me more, then I'll begin to give. Is that what you should do? Is that a plan in alignment with God's word and his will? Well, of course not. No, what God would say is, what I want you to do is to begin giving. I want you to be faithful. I want you to start somewhere, start giving, and then I'm going to show you how I'm going to do my part as you work the plan to do your part. If you all still love me, say amen. What about this? you have somebody that you love and they don't know Jesus and you know they don't know Jesus and you love them and you want them to go to heaven. You wish they would come to Jesus and you pray for them to be saved and that's good. You should pray for them to be saved but you've never mentioned Jesus to them. You've never tried to share the gospel with them and you say, well, I haven't tried to do it because I'm afraid to do it or I don't know how to do it or I don't have the boldness to do it and yet you've never availed yourself of the training to learn how to do it so that you could share, and so you just ask God to send somebody else. And God would say, why don't you make a plan to get equipped so that you can share the gospel with them, you can invite them to church, and maybe they'll come to Jesus because you're working a biblical plan in your life. Amen? I'm just saying, when we make a plan in alignment with God's word, we do our part as we trust God to do his part here's, here's the way I would summarize this particular point, and I got to move on and finish. But it's simply to say this it is that faith is not idle, it's active. Faith is not idle, faith is active. And so, when, we're, when we want to live out God's plan, we must activate our part, we must make a plan in alignment with God's word. Now, that doesn't in any way negate the need, the, the certainty that God must do His work. And that we ought to pray for that. So secondly, we see Eliezer's faith in this passage. And that is to say that faith moves in prayer. We work a plan. We do what we're supposed to do. But then we ask God to do what what he alone can do. I love this prayer of Eliezer when he calls on the Lord. Look at it in chapter 24 and verse 12. Oh, Lord God, God of my master Abraham, I pray thee, send me good grace and show kindness. Look at verse 13. Behold, I'm standing here at the well in Nahor in the evening when the women are coming. Oh God, here I am. Now answer our prayers. not praying from the tent back in Beersheba. He has made the journey. He has done his part. And now he says, God, would you do your part? And before he finishes the prayer, Rebecca shows up. And God answers his prayer. God does his part. He begins to praise God. We didn't read it, but verses 26 and 27, he praises God that God would answer his prayer. Lord, let the woman that you want me to invite to be the bride of Isaac offer water for my camels. And she does it. God just answers that prayer perfectly. He knows she's the one. She had the faith of Abraham. That's faith that makes a plan. You have the faith of Eliezer. It's faith that when it's done all that it can do, it just depends on God. It, pr- it goes forth on prayer. Thirdly, I want you to see in this passage the faith of Rebecca. And that is faith that follows a promise. You'll see this beginning in verse number 34. Eliezer is now at Rebecca's house. When he meets her at the well, she. Waters his camels. He knows she's the one. So he says to her, hey, any chance we could bed down at your place tonight? Have you got a father, brother? Or could, could we stay at your family home? And very common thing to show that hospitality or to ask or expect that hospitality in that culture. And she says, yeah, we got plenty. Come. And she tells her father and her brother. And they come out and meet him. And they prepare a beautiful meal. And he comes into their home. And in verse number 34, he pushes back from the table before he eats the meal. And he says, I've got to tell you my business. I've got to tell you why I've come. Verse 35. Listen to how he describes Abraham. Now remember, they would have known of Abraham. Nahor certainly would have remembered him, Bethuel might have. Rebecca never met him. But he begins to describe this Abram who had left and who had become great in the land of Canaan. The Lord, verse 35, has blessed my master greatly. He's a man of great resource, of great wealth. He has become great. It means not only great in wealth, but great in reputation. A man of great honor and character. He has given him flocks and herds and silver and gold and servants and camels and donkeys. And God gave him a son in his old age. His wife Sarah gave birth to a son. And God has committed all, or Abraham has committed all that he has to that son, Isaac. I've come now telling you about Abraham and Isaac so that you might make a decision. I'm looking for a bride for Isaac. And in that moment when he says, I'm looking for a bride, watch this. Every eye around the table goes to Rebecca. And the Bible says in chapter 24 and verse number 58, they ask her, will you go with him? Will you follow him? And she says in verse 58, I will go. Now, ladies, think about this. Eliezer, when Abraham gave him the command to go, he said, What if she won't come? What if I have to take Abraham or take Isaac there so that she can then meet him? What if she won't come without meeting him? And he said, No, no, God will provide. She will come. So they all look at Rebecca. She's never met Abraham. She's never met Isaac. She only if y'all are listening, shout amen. She only knows what Eliezer has told her. She can't Google him. She can't search his profile on Facebook and scroll through his pictures and see if he's cute. She she has zero information about this man except one testimony from one person named Eliezer who has said, He's wonderful. He's awesome. Abraham has become so great, so wealthy. He's had this son who he loves, and he's taken all of his wealth, and he's given it to Isaac. And this wonderful, wealthy, honorable, 40-year-old bachelor is looking for a bride. Will you go? And she said, I'll go. Here's what I want you to know. Every Christian who has come to faith in Jesus has answered that exact same question question on april 29th 1981 i was 16 years old and a meal was prepared it wasn't a a, a table of food but it was a church service like this one it was a spiritual meal that was prepared and i came to learn something about god in that service i didn't know much about him and i didn't know christ and i sat there at the table if you will in that service and and during that meal, I was told about God, his glory, that he's eternal, that he's holy, that he's perfect, that he's righteous, that he's glorious forever beyond description. And that he had an only begotten son and that his son, Jesus, is the perfect Reflection of this perfect God that He came to earth and He lived a perfect life, that He never broke the law of God, that He was perfect and sinless. And I was told that he died on a cross because he loved me. I was told how how much he values me and my soul and that he gave his life on a cross to die for me. I'd never seen God. I'd never seen Jesus. I wasn't there the day that he died. I wasn't there the day that he rose from the dead. I only heard the testimony from one person And it was the Holy Spirit of God who was revealing all of these things to me. And there came a moment in that service where the Holy Spirit said to me, you've never seen him. He's glorious and eternal. He loves you and he wants to be your savior and you can live in heaven with him forever. And the Holy Spirit said, Jim, will you go? Will you trust him? And like Rebecca, I couldn't Google him. I couldn't look him up on Facebook, but I believed the Holy Spirit. And I said, I will go. If you know Jesus, it's because you said, I trust the witness of the Holy Spirit. And I will go. And so Rebecca did. Verse number 61, I believe it is, tells us that she arose. Yeah, verse 61, she arose. She and her damsels, and they rode upon the camels, and they followed Eliezer. They left Nahor's city. They began to follow Eliezer in this caravan of camels. How far did they have to go to get back? 700 miles. All along the way, they climbed over mountains. They went through deep valleys. They crossed rivers. They were in rainstorms. They were facing the elements. They had nights under the stars, early mornings. Long, long trip, saddle sores. It was difficult all along the way. And maybe every now and then Eliezer would turn back and just say, It's okay, just hang in there. We're gonna make it. It won't be it's not much further now. You'll make it. And here's what you need to know about Rebecca's faith, and it's about our faith. It is that faith ultimately ends in sight. Look at what happens at the end of this chapter. Verse number 61 says that she follows him. Verse number 63 says, Isaac is out in the meadow as they make their way back. He lifts his eyes up, sees the camels coming. Verse 64, Rebecca lifted up her eyes and she saw Isaac and she jumped off that camel. And she said to Eliezer, who's that man? She sees this man in the field and he's looking and he's waving and he's walking toward them. And she jumps off the camel and says, who is that? And Eliezer says, can you imagine this moment? Eliezer says, that's the one I've been telling you about. That's Isaac, my master. And ladies, watch this. She takes a veil and covers her face and prepares to meet her groom. Since 1981, by God's grace, the Holy Spirit has been leading me and you for all the time that you've known Jesus along the way. There's been good days and bad days, and steep mountains to climb, and deep valleys to go through, and hardships, and tears, and laughter. And, and there have been days that you didn't know if you were going to make it. And the Holy Spirit, all along the way, said, Press on, you're going to get there. And I just want you to know if you are listening, shout amen. One glorious day, we will top the last hill, and we will see Jesus face to face. And the faith with which we lived and trusted, we never saw Him, we just believed the faith with which we lived and trusted will become sight in that moment. And we will behold him whom we've only seen through the eye of faith. There's an old gospel song that says, what a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see, when I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace, when he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land. What a day, a glorious day that will be faith makes a plan faith moves in prayer faith follows the promise and one day faith will end when we see Jesus I want you to live by faith I want you to walk by faith and if you've never met Jesus I want you to say yes to Jesus today he loves you he's inviting you to be a part of his bride to spend eternity with him in heaven. But it's your decision. You must say, I will go.